0: Our reading today is taken from Judges chapter 4, verse 1, to chapter 5, verse 31. Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth-Hagoim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Cesare, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the river Kishon and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Cesare into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Nebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zainanim near Kadesh. When they told Caesarea that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Caesarea summoned from Harasheth Agoim to the river Kishon, all his men, and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Caesarea into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor, with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Caesarea and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Caesarea got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth and all Sazera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sazera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sazera and said to him, "'Come, my lord, come right in, don't be afraid.' So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket." I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes and asks you, is anyone in there, say no. But Jel, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Cesera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Caesarea, with a tent temp- peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of, the Canaan, oh, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. On that day... Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings, listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water the mountains quaked before the lord the one of sinai before the lord the god of israel in the days of shamgar son of anath in the days of jail, the highways were abandoned travelers took to winding paths villagers in israel would not fight they held back until i deborah arose until i arose a mother in israel god chose new leaders when war came to the city gates But not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victories of his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up, wake up, Deborah, wake up, wake up, break out in song. Arise, Barak, take captive your captives, son of Abinoam. The remnant of the nobles came down. The people of the Lord came down to me against the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Machir, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained in the coast and stayed in his coves, The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the terraced fields. Kings came, they fought. The kings of Canaan fought. At Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo, they took no plunder of silver. From the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. March on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hooves, galloping, galloping by his mighty steeds. Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Cesare, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Through the window peered Cesare's mother, behind the lattice she cried out, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answer her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A woman or two for each man. Colorful garments is plunder for Caesarea. Colorful garments embroidered, highly embroidered garments for my neck. All this is plunder. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. But may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace for 40 years.
1: Good, thanks, Jenna, for reading that. Uh, Quite a lot to get through, two chapters. Um, But I wonder what you made of it. If you've been here for the last few weeks, you're maybe getting used to all the different events that are popping up in the chapters of Judges. Um, Nothing seems to surprise us anymore. Um, But as we read through those two chapters, maybe you're left with lots of questions. We seem to have three main characters going through the story. Who's the hero? Is it Deborah? Is it Barak? Is it Jail? All of them, none of them. What about Deborah as a female judge? What are we meant to make of that, if anything? What about Sisera's death? Why, why so gruesome? What's going on? What about Jail? Like, is she allowed to do that? Are we meant to be okay with that? And what about this song in chapter 5? We haven't seen anything like that so far. So far it's just been story, narrative, what's going on? Here we get the story and then we get Deborah singing to us. God, what's going on? What are you trying to show us in this? And maybe that's a question you find yourself asking as you look at your own life today, as you look at the world around us. You look at the things that are happening either out there, or closer to home in here, and you wonder, God, what's going on? What are you trying to show us? And so, through these unexpected events, through these unexpected people, despite all the questions we might have, the joy and the comfort we find is that in these chapters we see a God who we can trust, a God who is in control, a God who will rescue his people. And so as we get into the passage, uh, just to give us a bit of structure and a bit of framework, chapter 4, we do have the narrative, we have the story as told by the writer of Judges. And so chapter 5, then we get Deborah's song, a song about the events going on in chapter 4. It's a bit like if you like, the book, and then the musical version that's made afterwards. And so what we're going to do is we work through the narrative of chapter 4. We're going to be dipping into chapter 5 that helps us make sense of the events going on in chapter 4. So let's get into the story. And let's first see the people that God chooses to use. The people God chooses to use. One of our questions, who's the hero here? And so we see the unlikely people that God uses. The chapter starts in a familiar way to to recent weeks. We see the repeating cycle and downward spiral of the people of Israel. Following peace in the land at the end of last week, so we have evil done by the Israelites in the eyes of the Lord, verse 1. And so the Lord sells them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, verse two, and they're found to be under Sisera, the commander of the army, who cruelly oppresses them. And so, end of verse three, the Israelites cry out to the Lord for help. And verse four, we're introduced to Deborah. We're told she's a prophet, someone that God speaks to directly and speaks through to get his message across to his people. We're told that she is leading or judging the people of Israel. It's obvious that she is a wise woman, someone that's been gifted by God, so that people will come to Deborah to get their disputes settled, to get their disputes solved. And yet maybe the most striking thing about Deborah, as we look at the whole storyline of Judges, is that she's a woman. Why does God raise up Deborah as Israel's judge? Here we have the first and only female judge of Israel. What's going on? Well, I think there is something to be said here. And the question asks, where are the men? It seems that, um, well, up to now, there has always been a male leader of the people of Israel. And yet it seems that in the depths of Israel's sin, something has to be said about the depths of the men's sin, that no men are stepping forward, no men are willing, no men are up to the task of leading the people of Israel. We see at the beginning of Deborah's song in chapter chapter 5, verse 2, the call of people needing to willingly offer themselves, make themselves available to the Lord. And we see later on in Deborah's song, verses 16 and 17, and later verse 23, the excuses of the tribes not willing to help out. And yet it is also so apparent that God gifts Deborah to be in this role. God gifts Deborah to lead the people, to be a prophet as he speaks to them, to her, and to the people. God gives Deborah wisdom in in being able to solve the disputes that are going on. Realize that there is no mistake for Deborah being in this position. And so I'm sure that for some people in the room, as we come to a chapter of this, uh, like this, it can raise questions about uh, women in church leadership, women leading churches, what is going on here? And I'm sure there are differing views in this room today what are we to make of this passage? What does this teach us? How does it square with other passages throughout the Bible and into the New Testament talking about church leadership? And well, can I say that this passage isn't about women in church leadership. It's about a God who is active in rescuing his people Israel. And so if that is a permanent pertinent question for you, then please do, um, at the end, do speak to one of our church leaders, Pete or Mark, and think that through further. However, let's not miss, God does use Deborah in great ways. God does gift Deborah in great ways. God does place Deborah here as the leader of the people of Israel. And yet, as we go through the story it's worth noting that whilst Deborah is the leader of the people of Israel, she's not the one who's to lead them into battle. Different to every judge we've seen so far, she won't be the one that takes the people of Israel into battle. Whilst Deborah is the ruler, she's not the rescuer. Verse 6, she sends for Barak. Here is who God will use to take his people into battle. And so God speaks to Barak through, Ze- through Deborah. And in God speaking to Barak in verses 6 and 7, we see God gives Barak a command and a promise. Have a look down, verse 6. She sends for Barak, son of Obinium, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the river Kishon and give him into your hands. The command, go, take with you, lead them. And the promise, I will lead Sisera. I will give him into your hands. And yet, verse 8, we have the question of Barak's response. What's going on here? And there's been lots of debate whether this is a lack of faith from Barak in questioning and wanting Deborah to go go with him, or actually a show of faith from Barak. And I take it to be a show of faith from Barak, that as Barak responds, rather than hiding from the responsibility of leading the people into battle, he wants Deborah with him. He wants the person who God speaks through, He wants to continue to listen to God throughout the battle. He wants God with him there. Who wouldn't? And actually, if we flip to the New Testament, Barak is commended for his faith in Hebrews chapter 11, almost the hall of faith, if you like, of the Bible. And yet whilst they had their moments of weakness, listen to what the writer to the Hebrews says. This weakness was turned to strength and became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Barak faithfully leads God's people into battle. He calls the army in verse 10. He has 10,000 men under his command with Deborah alongside him and he heads down Mount Tabor and verse 15, have a look. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Sisera's army is defeated. There's not a man left, verse 16 tells us. Barak trusts in God's victory. Barak has a faith in God despite humanly overwhelming odds, 10,000 men up against 900 chariots of iron, Barak's forces were no match for Cicero's. And yet Cicero's forces were no match for God. Because one plus God is a majority every single time. One plus God is a majority every single time. I wonder if you've read any of the uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia books. Um, luckily, few of them have been made into film, uh, which helps me. It saves me from reading them. I can just watch the film to find out what happens. Um, I wonder if you've read or seen Prince Caspian. There's a scene in the film where the people of Narnia are fighting against the army, the enemies, and they force them back, and the army retreats back to the river. And as they reach the river, they go to go over the bridge, and they see little Lucy on the other side of the bridge. And you can almost sense the amusement in the leader of the army as he looks across and sees this little girl drawing out her dagger as if she's going to take them all on. And just as they get ready to charge, then arrives mighty Aslan, the lion, by Lucy's side. And that changes everything. Often when someone gives an illustration for a film, I worry that they're going to spoil it, but you should have seen it by now, so I will spoil it. And Aslan changes everything, right? And once Aslan arrives, then the battle is won. One plus God is a majority every time. Barak has faith in God in the face of overwhelming odds. I wonder, do you have a faith in God even when faced with challenging situations that you just cannot see a way out? When you feel outnumbered at work, and you just don't know what it looks like to stand up for Christ? Do you trust that one plus God, you plus God, is a majority? And Barak has a faith that is humble and not honor-seeking. Because whilst Barak is not the ruler, He's the rescuer. And yet, well, not quite. Do you see Deborah's response in verse 9? Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honour will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Deborah tells him that whilst he will be the one that leads the people into battle, that final honour will not be his. Instead, the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Barak leads the people into battle, knowing that that final battle honor will not be his, because that honor falls to jail. Another unexpected person that God uses in this story. Another woman who takes that final honor of delivering that final blow. A foreigner, we learn in verse 11, who's not even meant to be here, just moved house and falls in the way of Sisera. Where are we at? Let's join it, Sisera, knowing the battle is lost, flees on foot and looks to take refuge somewhere. And he finds the tent of jail, and he's thrilled, an ally, someone who will look after me. And jail seems to be the refuge that he needs, verse 18. Jael came out, went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come my Lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. Sisera asked for water and Jael does one better than that and brings him some milk. And Sisera says, verse 20, watch out, be on guard, turn anyone away who might come looking for me, turn them away, don't let them in. And I'm sure we're meant to see the scene of irony here, as Sisera, the mighty commander of the army, tired, exhausted, wrapped up in his blanket with a glass of warm milk, seemingly safe. And yet, verse 21, Jael, Heba's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple, into the ground, and just in case we weren't sure, he died. It's another gruesome death. What are we to make of this? Well, before we feel sorry for Sisera, it's worth having a look at almost his character reference that his own mum gives him at the end of Deborah's song. Have a look, chapter 5, verse 28. You have Sisera's mother... Worried. Where is he? He should be back by now. Why is he taking so long to come home? And so one of her ladies responds, Don't worry, don't worry. He's probably doing what he always does after the victories. He's just dividing the spoils, the plunder. And yet these spoils aren't just material possessions they've found. No women. Literally here, a womb or two for each man. Women given over. To be raped by Sisera and his men. This man was a cruel, bloodthirsty tyrant, and he deserved what was coming to him. And there is certainly an irony and humiliation for Sisera that this death was brought about by a woman. And so we see Jael being praised for her actions in Deborah's Song, chapter 5, verse 24. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heba the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. God chooses to use the people that we just wouldn't expect. This passage definitely highlights and praises the role of women here in bringing about God's rescue. Deborah, the prophet and wise leader who God speaks to and speaks through to his people. Jael, The woman who God gives the honour of delivering that final blow. And throughout the Bible we see the women of faith that God uses to bring about his purposes. Rahab, Ruth, into the New Testament and the women in the Gospels who were last at the foot of the cross. Who were first at the empty tomb. The women that Paul mentions in his letters who were faithful and such an important part of those early church plants. God chooses to use people that we wouldn't expect. And so it's no different today. Whether it's men or women, young or old, rich or poor, God continues to use people we wouldn't expect. I wonder if you've ever had the thought that you just couldn't be used by God. You've got nothing to offer him, no skills, no value, no worth. What on earth could God do with you? Well, God doesn't really give that option. No, God is ready and able to use whoever He wants to bring about His purposes. And so we need, as Deborah sings at the beginning of her song, we need to be ready and prepared to be willing to be used by God. Are you ready to make yourself available to God in the home, in your family? In the workplace, where maybe you're the only Christian amongst so many. In the church, what's evident here is that Deborah needs Barak, and Barak needs Deborah. Deborah in leading Israel, isn't the one who leads Israel into battle. She calls on Barak. And whilst Barak is the one that leads them into battle, he needs Deborah by her side, by his side. Both are needed both need each other and work together. In the church, we need one another. Are you ready to be used by God in the life of the church? God works through his people. God chooses to use people to bring about his purposes. And so, are you ready to be used by God? Who's the hero? Deborah, the prophet, the leader of the people of Israel. Barak, the one who takes them into battle. Jael, the one who delivers that final blow. Three heroes, one hero. Well, no human hero, but a God who will bring about his purposes. You see, whilst chapter 4 deals with the narrative and the story and the work of Deborah and Barak and Jael... Chapter 5 shows a different side to the story. As Deborah sings her song, it is so saturated with God. Deborah wants us to know loud and clear that this is God's work. Have a look down in chapter 5. Verse 2, Deborah says, Praise the Lord. Verse 3, Deborah says, Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. Verse 4, it is when you, Lord, went out from Seir. When you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured. Verse 5, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai. Verse 8, it is God who chooses the new leaders. Verse 9, praise the Lord. Verse 10, recite the victories of the Lord, and on and on. Deborah wants to say loud and clear, sing loud and clear, this is God's work. This is God who is in charge. And so then, in light of chapter 5, when then we go back into chapter 4, we see it everywhere. Take a close look as we do a whistle-stop tour of chapter 4 of God's work through all of this. We've seen verses 6 and 7, how God commands and God promises. And then God uh, God delivers. Verse 9, the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Verse 11, I wonder what you made of verse 11 when it was read out. It's random. In the middle of the battle, just as the battle is about to start, just as the action is about to kick off, so the scene moves to removals, to a house move. Why do we need to know that Heba the Kenite left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, pitched his tent by the great tree? Who cares? God moves. God is in charge, and God is moving the pieces to exactly where he wants them to be so that Sisera will fall into the tent of Jael. God moves, God gives, and God goes ahead. Verse 14. Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? God routs. verse 15, at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army. It's the Lord, not Barak. And finally, God subdues, verse 23. On that day, God subdued Jabin king of Canaan before the Israelites. God subdued. Not Deborah, not Barak, not Jael. Of course they had massive parts to play, but God's in charge here. And so we need to see how it is God who will bring about his purposes. Of course don't miss the action, don't miss what happens. Of course see the importance of how uh, the roles that the people play, the individuals that God uses, both here in Judges and today around us. But never be far away from seeing God's work behind everything. And so as Christians, we need to keep reminding ourselves of God's work, that he's in charge, and he will bring about his purposes. Because if we think it is all about us, well then, we'll probably fall into one of two different dispositions. Either pride or despair. And so we need to, if you like, keep our God goggles on, looking out all the time for God's work. Because it saves us from pride. It saves us from ever thinking that, you know what, God is lucky to have me on his team. He's done well there. Have you seen what I've done in the life of the church, how much I do, how much I've impacted other people? How can we say that with a God who is working and doing all things? And yet it saves from despair, a despair that in our struggles we go, who am I? Hopeless, worthless, giftless. What can I offer? What does God want with me? No, God will work, and he chooses to work through his people. God will have the victory, and God will defeat his enemies. God is serious about defeating those who oppose him. And if we want to know how serious he is, well, (laughs) look no further than the book of Judges as he deals with the, the enemies of his people. The gruesome deaths we see are evidence that God is serious about dealing with his enemies. And yet it doesn't end in Judges. God will defeat his enemies and God will deal with sin. Listen to how Deborah describes Jail's actions, or sings about Jail's actions, in verse 26. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. I wonder if the language that Deborah uses there reminds you or takes you to anywhere else in God's word. Remember Genesis chapter 3? Three? three chapters into the Bible and God talks about how he's going to deal with sin, with his enemy, the curse on the serpent. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. How will the serpent be crushed? Well, the language here also takes us to Isaiah 53, where the prophet Isaiah prophesies about what will happen to the coming Saviour. Isaiah says he will be pierced for our transgressions, and crushed for our iniquities. How will the serpent be crushed? How will the enemy be defeated? Well, by the serpent crusher being crushed himself. Jesus, the Son of God, who has never sinned, takes on sin himself to deal with sin. And so as the hammer is used to drive the tent peg into the head of Sisera, so the hammer is used to drive the nails through the hands and the feet of our Saviour as he dies on the cross. As Deborah sings, she crushed his head, shattered and pierced his temple. So Isaiah prophesies our Saviour was pierced for our transgressions and was crushed for our iniquities. God will deal with sin, and God will deal with those who oppose him. And so as we finish, you might be sat here this afternoon as someone who who wouldn't necessarily call themselves a Christian. Maybe you're looking into the claims of Christianity, maybe you're thinking it through, working it through for yourself, and I wonder what you make of of a chapter or two chapters like this. Maybe there's a temptation that it sort of pushes you away from God, what would I want to have, what, what I want to have with a God with, like this? Well, can I challenge you to let it lead you to God? Because in these chapters, we see a God of love who will protect his people and defeat his enemies. And we see a God of justice who will deal with evil and with his enemies. May I suggest that that is a God worth following? And for those here who are trusting in Jesus' death on the cross, who are trusting in God, can I challenge you to be trusting that God will bring about his purposes and he wants to use you in it. And so are you willing and ready to be used by God, ready to be used by him to bring about his purposes because this is a great God that we serve. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the people that you use to bring about your purposes, for Deborah, Barak, and Jail, as we see in these chapters, for the people that you've used in our own lives. And thank you that behind us all, you're a God who is in charge and who is working bring about his purposes. May we trust that and Lord may you help us and make us willing to be available to be used by you for your great purposes. In your name we pray. Amen.